Do any of you have any of those memories where the whole memory is fuzzy, but there's one piece of the memory that's really vivid? Okay, so some of you know what I'm talking about. So here's, here's one of those. I've got this overall fuzzy memory from 32 years ago when I was a 22-year-old youth director, but there's one part of it that I really remember that's really vivid. So the, the fuzzy part is I, I knew I was new to this new church as a brand new youth director. I remember the event was something where I was, it was like a welcome the new guy thing. And I remember that I was sharing, you guys, I think this little church of ours, we can do more than just reach these teenagers that are here at our church. I really think we can impact this town. So I don't remember the words. I don't remember all the context, but I remember being really excited and really believing it from the heart that this little church could, you know, do these things. So that's the fuzzy part, but the vivid part that I remember is after this this event, this man comes walking up to me, this retired gentleman. His name was Floyd. So if you can get a small-town Floyd in your head, that's that's probably what he looked like, you know? So Floyd comes up afterwards, and Floyd has got this smile on his face that is ear to ear. He's got this sparkle in his eyes behind the glasses that are the wire-rimmed, you know, the big glasses. Back then they weren't cool, but now... They're cool. Like Floyd was ahead of his time, right? Anyway, and Floyd comes up. He's just super excited. And he goes, it's coming to pass. It's coming to pass. And then he quotes a Bible verse that I want us to take a look at. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. So Floyd is super excited after this. Hey, I think we can reach the town vision that I shared. And uh, and he says, it's coming to pass. And he talks about second. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Oh, I should probably give context for this. So what we're looking at here, Acts chapter 2, is this is the part of the, the story of the birth of the church where Jesus had come, and these people who were experiencing this, they had seen him and, and, and interacted with his life, and then they saw him die, and then they encounter him after he had been killed. He, he's back alive. And then they were told, hey, you're supposed to wait until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. So they're doing all those things. And then the Holy Spirit comes and falls on them. And in such a way where it caused the whole city to, to be have this buzz around them. And so people are going, what's going on? Peter, one of the disciples, he stands up and he quotes this passage, this prophecy from the Old Testament. So that's what we're picking up in the story. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it shall be as God declares. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And so those last two lines there, the, that we, the ones I just read, um, that we have on, on yellow on the screens, that's what had him all excited. Because this is what we've been praying for. You know, for, for the, for, to, to have this person who would come in and, and have this vision and, and all these things. Well, so I'm remembering this in light of what we're going to talk about today. And then I decided I'm going to open up to this verse again because it's been a while since I've opened up to this one. And when I reread it, what jumped out to me was not the, your young people will see visions, but here's the line that jumped out at me. What's the last of verse 17? Your old man will what? Dream dreams. That's the part that jumped out at me. Your young people will see visions. The old folks will dream dreams. And I tell you, that little church, you know who the dreamers were? 
at little First United Methodist in New Orleans, Minnesota, dreamers of retired folks. It was people like Floyd who had this vision of what could happen at this little church. And then the person who really was this dreamer, her name was Holly, Holly Love. Oh, man, she was a force of nature. She was spearheading this whole search team. They didn't even have a pastor yet right then at that time. Their pastor, they were between pastors, but they're like, we're not waiting until we get the pastor. We got to get our youth director. You know, they were just excited. And Holly was at the, the front of that. And here's the thing. Holly's own kids were grown up. Holly's own kids were living in different states. Holly's kids, she had three boys. All three boys were doctors with the last name Love. How old do you think that got? Paging Dr. Love, you know, they, yeah. Anyway, so, so in the, from fall of 1991, when I arrived to the spring of 1995, we had a front row seat to what God can do when people receive his spirit and the young see visions and the older folks dream dreams. We watched what God was able to do through all of that. When God pours out his spirit on an intergenerational community. And that's what this teaching series is about. If you're just joining us, what we're doing is we have this series called Growing Pains, where as a church family, we're looking at these different stages of life and how we can be there for one another and support one another through the challenges and opportunities that each age brings. If you're um, just joining us and if you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Scripture casts a vision for an intergenerational family of dreamers. And so we've been looking at this. Two weeks ago, or yeah, two weeks ago, um, we started by talking about the early years. And then last week, Pastor Dan was sharing about the teen years. In the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about the adulting years. We're going to talk about final stages of life. And what I'd like to talk about today are those retirement years. Those retirement years. And here's a great quote to get us started. When your memories are more exciting than your dreams, you've what? You've begun to, you've begun to die. When your memories are more exciting than your dreams, you've begun to die. And that's not just true for individuals, that's true for churches. And I'm sure all of us can think of examples that we know of where a church stopped dreaming. And the church just stopped catching a vision for what could happen if we really poured into that next generation and equipped them you know, instead, what if, what happened if, if we <laughs> just keep things the same? And you've seen what that happens in those churches just growing older together. But here's the thing that really comes to mind, too. I, we can think of those examples. But since the 80s, we've seen a lot of the opposite, actually. A few months ago, um, I went to see a movie called The Jesus Revolution. And there's a powerful scene in the movie. I think I talked about it here before where this powerful scene where this church is aging out, they're just growing old together, they're kind of dying as a congregation, and there's this powerful scene where there's God starts sending these hippies, it was the 70s, these hippies, their way, and this pastor is literally at the front of the church, and they were barefoot, and so he's washing their feet as they're coming in. And I was watching that scene, it was really touching on so many levels, but the thought that came into my head was over time, churches, that just became the norm. Like when we start accepting and welcoming those who are hip and those, the next generation, and we start welcoming cultural trends, we start adjusting our music so it sounds like the music on the radio, and we start making sure that we look as exciting as a concert and all these kind of things. And I was thinking over that same period, as churches were getting better and better at reaching younger audiences, what have churches, at least a lot of churches, been 
giving the message to for people who are older. A lot of churches give that message. You're not, you're not welcome here. Unless you embrace all the new things we're doing. So here's your earplugs, you know, and there's a giving kiosk on your way out. Or you can use the QR code, you know, make sure you give. But things that may have still have meaning for people, that's, that's no longer welcome. And so you can, you can have either extreme, right? When, when you're only focused on the young or when you only focus on the old, neither one, I, I don't know. I, I think here's the thing I can land on. You may want to write this down. We're better together. Can I get him into that? We're better together. Throughout history, all over the world, cultures have valued not just the young people, but they valued what we used to call elders. Value the elders. Here's another quote that I came across. Without elders, much of our history has been formed by juniors reacting and overreacting and protecting their own temporary privilege with no deep time vision like the Iroquois nation which considered what would be good for the next seven generations. When I think about spreading the good news, no one did a better job of this than a person we call the Apostle Paul. And one of the things you'll notice, he went through great lengths everywhere he went to not only ensure that we've got elders, but a certain kind of elder along the way. He had some high standards for these people, these high character qualities, qualities like, Tested, sincere, self-controlled, hospitable, able to teach, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not a recent convert to the faith. People who demonstrate, I can manage my own household well. Individuals who've got a good reputation with outsiders, who aren't overbearing or quick-tempered. Those who love what is good. Those who live holy lives. The churches that Paul founded They didn't just value elders. They were very selective when it came to the kind of elders that they appointed. There's value in sincere elder wisdom, the kind that Paul was describing. Um, So maybe it's because they didn't see it in me. But when I turned 50, or maybe they're trying to be helpful, when I turned 50, someone gave me this book. It's called uh, Falling Upward by by Richard Rohr. And I understand there's some controversy around, around this guy, but I'll say this. He makes a couple really, really good points in this book. One of the things that I've really, at least really struck me, is he talked about how the first half of the life, he says, it's about building the box. Then he says the second half of life is learning to live within the box. That's really good. What he means by building the box is, is the first half of life stuff. The first half of life is about learning how to survive, learning how to be successful in the eyes of others, learning how do you earn an income, how do you find people to share life with. You're asking questions like, what makes me significant? How do I support myself? How do I obtain more of the things that make me happy? Who are my people? That's the first half of life, building the box stuff. Unfortunately, and he expands on this in his book, unfortunately, these questions, they ultimately lead to dualistic thinking. It's black or white. It's me versus you. It's us versus them. Maybe some of you can relate to some of the dangers of when you're pursuing first half of life stuff with too much passion. At the risk of being, and this is right from his book, at the risk of being too cleverly alliterative, here is the normal sequencing of the dualistic mind. It compares, it competes, it conflicts, it conspires, it condemns, it cancels out, 
any contrary evidence, and then it crucifies with impunity. You can call it the seven seas of what? Delusion. Anyone see that in any people? Man, there's so many people that don't grow out of this, right? They don't grow out of this mindset. Well, anyway, Roar also then describes the second half of life mindset that matures beyond just building and defending our boxes. He says it's about learning these deeper principles that actually make life meaningful and make community work. Those who mature, they begin to value character in themselves and in others more than social status. And and they begin to see gray where once we are like, this is just black and white. It's really simple, right? (laughs) Is anything simple? There's not much that is, is there? We begin to see common ground where once we thought maybe there's none. And this is interesting. He talks about how we can learn how to value quiet over overstimulation. I love this quote, this next quote. Look at this. This is from his book. Silence is the only language spacious enough to include everything. I love that. And to keep us from slipping back into dualistic judgments and divisive words. Silence as a language. I love that. All right, so the further we get into this mature second half of life understanding, the more we experience, I mean, we start becoming actually detached from material things, unless they're a means to an end. And we have this growing desire. I want to invest in stuff that lasts, stuff that really matters. Let me see if this next talk point generates any amends. Second half wisdom is a gift. Isn't it? It is a gift. It's a gift to us. It's a gift to the world. So let's apply and bring second half wisdom into this conversation about retirement years. Here's a quote from a book. Oh, this one's really good too. This one's called Aging with Purpose. This guy actually doesn't just have this book. He's got this whole ministries. You can go um, finishingwellministries.org, and he's got all kinds of resources for people as you enter that stage of life. So here's one of the things he says. He goes, there's nothing wrong with capping years of service in a job or a company and then looking forward to spending time with family and friends or doing things that we always want to do but didn't have time for. Nothing wrong with that. But retirement, as we practice it today, it's a social and cultural construct, it's not a biblical one, which means that with it comes all sorts of assumptions that work against the biblical concept of finishing well. If you've ever heard that there's no word that we can translate into retirement in the Bible, that's true. You, you won't find that. You know where you do find the word retirement used a lot? In people who are marketing to that age group. Isn't that true? Here's what retirement looks like. This Retirement community, this, you know, yacht, this traveling, right? All that kind of stuff. And I I tell you, just so you hear me clearly, I hope, I hope if you reach the retirement years, I hope they're filled with rest. I hope they're filled with joy. I hope for you that they are filled with some of those things that you just didn't have time for while you're building the box, that you're able to enjoy those now and savor those now and, and be unhurried. I hope that for you. And I hope your life is more than a hobby. I hope your life is more than just getting up and going to bed. When second half people, when second half people are engaged in the life of others, are engaged in a community, everybody wins. Everybody wins. You might want to write this down. Our world needs more engaged elders. That is worth repeating. Our 
world needs more engaged elders. I've seen some stats that suggest boomers are retiring at 10,000 a day. 10,000 a day. That is a massive resource for the world of skill, of experience, of wisdom. I want to say this. We are so blessed as a church. We are so blessed with so many of you, so many of you in that age bracket. You're serving in so many ways. For example, <laughs> we've got some of the folks here who are engaged with this. We, we go all in on these camps and retreats. We, we go all in on these things for our young people. One of the things we do is we always have a theme. We want to create this just immersive experience when people come. This year, I'm not going to give away what it is, but we are bringing the single biggest prop that we have even ever attempted to bring. This thing is so big, it's requiring a separate trailer. This thing is so big, and I'm not exaggerating. Some of the people in this room, they checked with the camp to say, is this thing actually going to fit through double doors? That's how big this is. And it's a crew of retired men who are at the forefront of that team. I can't imagine, you know, whether it's this type of thing or pretty much anything that we do. I don't know where we'd be if it weren't for the countless practical ways our retired folks are caring for young people, leading groups of all ages, serving on welcome teams, worship teams, cleaning, maintenance teams, so many things. And then there's overall elder wisdom that we're benefiting from. I remember back in, must have been 2019, I got this email from, from one of, the, of our guys. He's a, he's a grandfather here at our church. And he said, Chris, you need to pay attention to something that's happening over in China right now. And this is before COVID made the news. I hadn't even heard of COVID. He said, there's something happening over there right now, and it's going to affect us. It's just a matter of time. And then when it did hit, I can't tell you, I don't know where we'd be without the elders that we had in place. When the world was acting all that first half stuff, polarizing, dividing, you couldn't tell what, what was really going on because so many people were profiting from all of the, the hype and hysteria. We were able to keep moving forward because we had people that had elder wisdom that were just able to keep things in perspective. They considered multiple factors, physical health and mental health. What are the actual risk factors and for who? We were able to continue to offer worship services in different ways based on the situations. We were able to offer weddings. We were able to offer even retreats without any super spreading incidents. We came out with a stronger relationship with our community leaders instead of a fractured one. And a new studio, a whole lot of new additions to the Emmanuel family. And that same elder wisdom that guided us through that, helped us guide through the racial tension of that spring, through big confusion and lots of hot feelings around immigration, human sexuality, gender. Some of these things that were just tearing people apart. We were able to navigate through in a God-honoring way. And if, as we look ahead as a church, as we look ahead, is anyone under any illusions that's going to be smooth sailing from here for, for humanity? No. Not at all. Let's go back to the text one more time. What does it say? Start again, verse 16, but now let's go all the way to verse 21. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
in the last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. They shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon will be turned to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does this sound like smooth sailing? But there's hope. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Spirit is going to continue to be poured out upon all these generations. According to Peter, we're in these last days now. And until Jesus returns, as promised, there's going to be a high demand for second-half wisdom to guide us through these times. So let's make sure as a church family that we're doing everything we can to help people in that age demographic be as equipped as we can be. If you are over 50, I cannot recommend enough. You've got to get connected with our fun after 50 group. I was, I was in the lobby right outside there. I, was it a Tuesday maybe? And you guys were having, some of you were having that meeting. I'm like, what is going on? Is it like game night in studio A or whatever? It was so much fun. You, they, they were like the energy. I've never seen senior groups like, like this. This is just so cool. So if you want to get connected with other people who are going through similar things that you're going through, what a great group to come and make those connections. Also, I mentioned those two books along the way. Those are great resources. And if you haven't already, join a team, especially those of you who are able. You've got the gift of some time. We've got all kinds of teams here. You can share that gift with others who could benefit from your skills, your experience, your wisdom. I also want to encourage you, um, if you're not signed up, go right now to manual.church/next. Sign up for our ECC mail updates because this last week I reached out, actually the last couple weeks I've been reaching out to some people from our church who are either approaching retirement or in retirement and I want to share some of the wisdom that they pass along. It's just pure gold. So that'll come out in this coming ECC mail coming your way. Whatever your age, whatever your age, don't give up on dreaming. Don't give up on dreaming of what could be. When many of us think about retirement, at whatever age you start thinking about it, A lot of what we dream of, this hit me the other day, a lot of what we dream of with retirement is actually pretty close to heaven, right? Because a lot of us, we dream of rest. A lot of us, we dream of spending unhurried time with people we love. For a lot of us, we're like, I want to be a part of God's creation, his incredible creation. All of those, that's heaven stuff, isn't it? At least glimpses of it. And if you're part of God's family, there's going to be a day. You experience those things that are the best of retirement, and you experience them in a situation in a new heavens and new earth where there is no injustice, and there is no pain, there's no suffering. Even death is no more. I got one last quote for you, and this one was just too good to cut. It's from a poem. Look at this, so good. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee, mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. On our best days, retirement can give us that little glimpse of eternity. But here's the challenge we all face. 
challenge you. Face, we're not home yet. Can I get an amen? We're not. And so for many people, many people, in fact, a lot of stats would start to say it's, it's most. The dreams that many people had going into retirement, those dreams haven't come to pass. There was enough time to save enough money. Or you thought you had enough money, and then it got wiped out. Your body or your loved one's bodies, they're feeling the effects of the fall more than you thought they would. Is that a kind way of saying it? <laughs> Friends and family often feel, seem to be so busy with their own lives. People that you plan to retire with have passed from this life to the next. You've got wisdom and skills to share, but it seems like people don't want to listen. Or maybe you're isolated or on the outside looking in. Whatever, whatever your state is right now, know that there is a God who sees you, he knows you, and he desires to walk with you through these years. In these last days, God's not just pouring out the Spirit upon the young. We just read this. He's pouring out a Spirit on all of us. So let's all embrace these things. I could have a long, long list here. I just want to give you three. Let's all embrace second half wisdom, that wisdom we're talking about. Let's all keep learning wherever we are. Let's keep learning. Let's grow. Let's mature. And let's all embrace intergenerational interaction. If retirement increases your availability, I can't tell you what a gift that is. A gift to just be able to steward this well where you're actively saying as a day starts, Lord, guide my day. Guide me wherever I'm at. Use me today. Speak to me. You can bless a burned out parent by helping with childcare. You can attend a young person's event, like a cross-country meet, for example, right? You could, you could do, when, when sometimes parents can't make it to all of these things, you could write a handwritten note. How many like getting handwritten notes? Write it to someone who's not expecting it. What a way you could bless them. Be fully present in an unhurried way. That's getting so rare. There's so many of these things you could do with availability. And then let's all reconsider, like, this is big, so, but I'm just going to touch on it. Let's all reconsider this mindset that so many of us have of, I'm just going to go wherever the money is or whatever in life. It was really interesting. I just read an article last week. The article was called, Nearly Half of All Young Adults Live With Mom and Dad, dot, 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 and they like it. More and more people are finding out maybe this whole idea of us just doing this whole distance and, and detached thing whether it's with family or with friends, maybe lives that are more interrelated and interconnected, maybe there's something to that. Again, we could do this all day. Let me just give you one more. Let's all embrace finishing well. Let's all embrace finishing well. I looked up the word retire, like dictionary-wise. It, it doesn't describe a life that's finishing well. Here's some of the definitions of retirement. To leave a job, to cease to work, to cease to work, to cease to play competitively, to withdraw from a race, to withdraw to or from a particular place. Don't punch out in life. Don't punch out. You know, don't quit dreaming. Or yes, don't quit dreaming or just slowly fade away. One of the saddest moments I've had in the last couple of years 
I, I, I went down to see my mom at, in Hastings where she lives in a retirement community. I come in and here's all these people in the lobby and they're, they're not talking to each other. They're not really doing anything. They're just sitting there in the lobby. And so as soon as we got out of earshot, I'm like, mom, what's going on? Why, why are these people sitting in the lobby? You know what the answer was? They were waiting for the mail. That's not what you want to be trending towards. You don't want to be trending towards waiting for the mail. In our last series, I mentioned a letter from my dad. You know, I, I think about people like my dad. The, the guy was a dreamer. When I, when I was in elementary school, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I was in elementary school, they gave him six months. And he ended up leaving, living six more years. But he never knew how long he was going to have. So every month could be his last month for those six years. But even with that diagnosis, it didn't stop him from dreaming. And I, I just mentioned this already here. My, in our last series, I mentioned this letter that he sent me during the sophomore year of college. He sent it in December, right around my birthday. I promised I'd circle back to that letter because there was something I wanted to circle back to. Here it is. After expressing, hey, I want to spend more time together, something that his father never really did with him, he wrote these words. And this is just months before he died. The doctor thinks I'm going to live until spring at least. I'm planning on doing what? Plowing and planting again. Once a farmer, always a farmer, I guess. He goes, I missed a lot of opportunities to spend real time with you, and I hope to have time to do that yet. He wrote those words in December. He died in May. My dad went home dreaming. My dad went home saying, there are still people that I love that I want to spend time with. My dad went out planning to plant something that somebody else would harvest. I want to go out like that. Investing in people, investing in things that are going to go beyond me. How about you? The last question, those of us who've got these note pages, if you downloaded it, final question. When your time comes, do you want to be writing letters or do you want to be waiting for mail? It's a question I ask you to think about. Well, today, what we're going to do is we're going to invite everyone, men and women, young and old, we're going to join together for a very special meal. We're going to commemorate a moment that Jesus shared with his disciples long ago in an upper room. He took bread, he took wine, and then he said, this is my body, this is my blood, given for you. There's a whole lot that the Bible doesn't say about this sacrament that we call Holy Communion. It doesn't prescribe a specific age. It doesn't prescribe a specific method. It doesn't prescribe a specific type of bread or wine. But it does say things like this. We read this earlier, Acts chapter 2, verse 21. It shall come to pass that everyone who does what? Calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, if you're willing to do that, Today, if you're willing to sincerely pray these prayers we're about to pray, not because they're magic words, but because they can guide us to a sincere surrender of our lives. Today, if you're willing to do that, there's a God who will meet you right where you are, who desires to fill you with his spirit, who desires to walk with you and open up doors that no one else can open. Whatever stage of life you're at. For those of you who are at home, we invite you to take some time. Just stop multitasking right now. Take a moment. Just make this time real. 
find a piece of bread, find some juice. And after you pray these prayers, make these prayers your own and take that bread, take that juice. And remember that this is his body. This is the blood given for you. For those of us who are here, same thing. Take some time, make these prayers your own and then use this time to reflect and to receive the body and blood of Christ into your life. Receive his Holy Spirit today to lead and guide you. Let's spend some time now. I invite you to pray these, pray these prayers with us. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. Father, you talk about through your word how we are a body with many parts. And Lord, we pray that you're going to give every person visions and dreams. And Lord, we know because we're a body with many parts, they look different, but every one of these matter. If that vision is, I'm going to be a letter writer If that vision is, I'm going to be a person who's available with my time. If that vision is, let's reach a whole town. Whatever that vision is, the visions that you give are the visions. They matter because you can see the difference that that vision is going to make. So, Lord, we pray that it's not about comparing our visions with first half of life expectations. We pray instead you're going to help us to have second, second half of life wisdom of just trusting you in a moment day by day. So, Lord, as we seal this time with songs, as we seal this time around your table, we also seal this time with a prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.